once again be back with you. Uh, as Pastor mentioned, we always look forward to coming back. It seems about this time every year. And uh, we just appreciate this great church. And we rejoice in all the great things that God uh, is doing and the things that are to come. In Jesus' name, we give honor to Pastor and his wife. We love and appreciate these great people of God and so appreciate their kindness to us. And I give honor to Bishop and his wife. I love them so very much. It's always great to see them. Amen. How many is going to help me preach for just a few minutes this morning? Amen. I believe the Lord's going to help us. John chapter 19, verse number 23. If you got it, say amen. For cheating on the screens, amen. Praise God. We do have a table in the foyer with books, and, and my wife has written some CDs out there. We'd love to have you come by and take a look at those after service. John chapter 19, verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith they parted my raiment among them. And for my vesture, they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. I want to preach today for just a few minutes on this subject, the Christ of the seamless coat. The Christ of the seamless coat. I wonder if before you're seated one more time, you could lift your hands and your voice. And I would ask, in fact, that every hand would be raised, every voice would be lifted, that you would ask God to speak to your heart in this house today. Jesus, I thank you for your undeniable presence that is certainly in this room. I thank you, God, for your anointed word. It is spirit. It is life. I pray today that the anointing that rests upon your word would flow off of the page today. Let it have free access into our spirits. I pray for some individual that sits in this room today that revelation would come to their mind. I pray that understanding and clarity would dawn upon us today in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. It has been said often that we should never judge a man, or excuse me, we should never judge a book by its cover. And if that be true, then... Some might also say that we should never judge a person by his clothes. However, consider with me today the pilot in the aircraft, the bellhop at the hotel, the postman on his mail route. They are all distinguished and identified by their garments that they wear. A soldier is known by his fatigues a lawman by his badge, a fireman by his hat, a bride by her dress, a doctor by his white coat, a graduate by the cap and the gown. One single glance at their garment lets us know a great deal about who they are and what it is that they do. And although we don't know a whole lot about what the man Christ Jesus looked like in his physical appearance, we can glean and, and we can gather a few things about his identity by also glancing at the garments that he wore. They're mentioned only on occasion in Scripture, but uh, we first recall that upon his birth in Bethlehem, 
The shepherds were told, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Later in his years of ministry, we read of that certain woman who fell at Jesus' heel and said these words, If I may but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. It was on a separate occasion. Matthew and Mark, I believe it was, recorded in their Gospels that a multitude of diseased were brought to Jesus and as many as touched his garment were made perfectly whole. At the trial of Jesus before Pilate, we read that his garment was stripped away from him and they put upon his back a torn and and tattered purple robe and made blasphemous mockery of his royalty and deity. Later, when Jesus was buried in, in Joseph's tomb, hours later, in fact, we read that Jesus was wrapped in a white linen garment and laid to rest until the third day. Go to the book of Revelation, and in the first chapter, we read of what John saw when he looked in the midst of the candlesticks and saw Jesus clothed in a shining garment of glory. John the Baptist, in in the beginning of the New Testament, even made mention of Jesus' sandals amid his preaching of the coming Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Yet here we are amid the, the biblical narrative of Jesus being nailed to timber and, and lifted up from the earth to willingly hang on the cross of our deserving. In our text that I read today, we are told that Roman soldiers took the very garments of Jesus and divided them among themselves, fulfilling the, the, the prophetic words of the psalmist in Psalm 22 and verse 18, which foretold of soldiers parting his garments and casting lots upon his vesture. What I can find in study is many historians believe that it was a custom of the Roman Empire to will the clothing and any possessions of of a crucified person to the soldiers that put that person to death. It could be viewed in one sense as one of Uh, the perks of such a a vicious and bloody occupation. Therefore, in the context of Jesus' crucifixion, uh, his only known possessions being the, the clothing that he wore were then placed into the hands of these evil men that nailed him to a cross. Let this picture be painted vividly in your mind this morning. There Jesus hung, dying. The angels of glory were undoubtedly looking over the battlements of heaven, just waiting to be summoned to his side. All of creation, in fact, stood at attention, observing the sacred sacrifice of its manifested creator. And yet just a few yards away, Roman soldiers are rolling the dice, sacrilegiously gambling for the garments of Jesus. Some scholars believe that the dividing of his garments into four parts was in reference to his outer part, his outer garments, his tunic to one soldier, his belt to another, his his headpiece 
piece to a third and his sandals to a fourth. However it happened, I don't have that kind of degree today, but this is what I do know. John said, then they came to his coat and very quickly upon turning their attention to the coat, of Christ they realize there is something different about this piece of garment there is something unique about its nature John whose gospel we read from today he's standing only a few feet away and he he is witness firsthand to the gambling on top of Calvary's hill and John records these details the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout I remember as a child, my my grandmother. I called her Nana. She she was a seamstress and and, and she could could make all kinds of things out of thread and cloth. And uh, one one time, uh, she she even taught me how to make a little pillowcase. And that wasn't real manly, but I can say I did it anyhow. I can recall her stretching out patterns on the kitchen table and cutting out cloth according to that pattern. And when I consider this coat of Christ that John says was without any seams, I put it in the context of my own childhood as I would watch my grandmother cut out patterns. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the coat that Jesus wore, there had been no pattern yet used to cut out various pieces of cloth and then sew them together to make one garment of what was fragment pieces. The sleeves had not been cut out separate and then sewn on to the body of the garment. No, there were no seams. So I imagine it this way. If it was woven from the top throughout, the seamstress must have quite literally started at the top and woven this garment continuously until reaching its bottom border. Think with me just a moment. What time that must have taken. What patience that must have required. Oh, the attention to detail that that seamstress must have possessed when spending time making this coat for Christ. I don't know, it's all conjecture, I suppose. Oh, but if this this woman spent this time willingly to make this coat for the Christ as nothing but a, a love gift, a show of gratitude, an expression of thanksgiving for all that Jesus had done in her life. I don't know if that is true or not, but I have to conclude this that coat must have been purposely designed to be a perfect picture of the righteousness of the master I don't know a whole lot about fashion designers, but I would suppose this is true everything is done with intention Everything is done on purpose. There aren't any accidents to how that piece of clothing is designed. It's all on purpose. If something is an accident, then they 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 get the seam ripper out and they start. Oh, everything is on purpose. Can I tell you that? that coat that Christ wore without any seams it must have been designed that way on purpose because I preach to you on this Sunday morning when it comes to the righteousness of our God it is not patched it is not fitted it needs no adjusting the righteousness of the master it needs no correcting 
The righteousness of God needs no altering. It needs no artistic assistance from the hand of a skilled seamstress. For in him there is no error. There is no blemish. Therefore it only seems fitting to me that his coat would be a perfect reflection of his holiness and his righteousness. No seams, no sewing together of separate pieces. Not a rough spot here, not a hard place there. Not a snag or a run. No no faults, no flaws, no imperfections. Only a continuous symbol of the spotless, sinless nature of God. And having come to redeem man and conquer sin. Jesus lived a life above the reproach of iniquity. Being in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Look him over today, ladies and gentlemen, and you too will conclude, amen, as did that thief on the cross who said, this man hath done nothing amiss. No one, I tell you today, no one was worthy to wear the seamless coat but Jesus Christ. Sure, there have been many men through history who have claimed the righteous perfection of Christ, but a claim was all that it was. Many have self-righteously tried to replicate the pattern of Christ's deity. Earthly kings and rulers have tried to claim its portrayed power, but the seamless coat is unworthy to be worn by no man but Jesus Christ for outside of Christ I remind us there is none righteous no not one for there is no one else beside him not only does this seamless coat symbolize his righteousness but in it I also see a a reflection of of his identity because just as the coat had no separations or seams the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is not merely a piece or a portion of the Godhead He is not merely the right sleeve connected to a larger part. He is not just a little piece of a bigger pattern. He is not just a small cutout of a greater cause. Let me help somebody today understand the truth of God's word. It's back in the beginning as God revealed himself to his people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And so I declare today, amen, as James said, in him there is no variableness. There is no coming together of separate pieces. There's not, there's not patching. There, there's, not, there's not altering to be done. There is no variableness in him. There is no shadow of turning to his deity. There, there is no stopping and starting over. To his power, there are no borders. There are no limits. His glory needs no adding to, and it needs nothing taken from it. For speaking of Jesus, Paul said this, In him dwelleth all. The fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. I'm going to move on to my sermon but can I just throw it in one good, one, one more hit on the nail today. There is no separation to Jesus Christ. There is no division to the Godhead. He is one. Jesus is God just like his co 
quote, Christ is also without sin. Lest, lest someone think that I'm exalting the coat of Christ, let me be clear. Though that coat lay on the back of God in flesh, you hear me today, that fabric was not the source of virtue and authority. The power to heal the sick and raise the dead was not in that material possession that he owned. The power to conquer hell and defeat darkness was not contained within the uh, the vesture that he wore the power to forgive sin to the sinner the power to extend grace to the outcast it wasn't wrapped up in some article of man made craftsmanship I submit to you today that the power was in him the power was in Jesus and here we are on this Sunday morning and it's still true if you need healing the power is in the name of Jesus you need deliverance the power is in the name of Jesus you need saving you need redeeming the power is all in him the moment came when beneath the dark shadow of his own death that seamless coat was stripped away from him the apostle Paul would later say he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin he who was sinless and holy without blemish was made to bear sin for us. Therefore, ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that if sin be laid upon him, then the coat which symbolized his sinlessness must be taken away from him. If he is to take on sin, if he's to bear your sin and mine, if he is to take on the weight of all our past mistakes and failures, then how unfitting it would be for Jesus to, as Scripture says, bear the sins of the world but remain wearing a coat that declares him to be sinless. Though righteous he was, I'm not contradicting my sermon, though righteous he was, in this moment, he was not to appear righteous. He was to bear the weight of my sin. He was to take upon himself the weight of my iniquity. He was to represent the vilest of sinners. He was to represent you and I. He was to be our advocate, uncovered and exposed before God. Therefore, the coat that he wore had to be taken away. When Jesus was born, we know, we're, we're, we'll celebrate it in just a few weeks. We know that Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Those were rather, rather unusual clothes for a baby because swaddling clothes are actually defined as long, narrow strips of white linen cloth. At, at Christmas, we call them swaddling clothes. At Easter, we call them grave clothes. Long, narrow strips of white linen cloth. The same kind of cloth that prepared him for burial was the same kind of cloth that clothed him at his birth, illustrating the truth to us that Jesus was born to die. He was born for this. So as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, he opened. 
opened not his mouth. I understand I'm not preaching anything to you today that you've not heard, but I know the compelling sense that I felt in the Holy Ghost this morning. I may preach the gospel today to two people in this room, and I'm okay with that because woe unto me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to remind somebody in this building that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was not an accident. It was not a scheme by the adversary. It was planned from the very beginning. And Jesus was born for that purpose. When they pressed upon his head uh, that thorny crown, uh, he did not cry out in opposition. Uh, he was born for this. When they mocked his majesty uh, and shouted sheer blasphemy uh, at his name, uh, he did not condemn them. Uh, he was born for this. When they spat upon him, he did not judge them. He was born for this. When they took off his sandals, he did not protest. He was born for this. When they took off his outer garments, he said no word because he was born for this moment. And when those rugged hands of vile men yanked that seamless coat from off his back, Jesus opened not his mouth because if he is to represent sin on the cross of our deserving. He cannot defend his reputation. He cannot declare his innocence. He cannot proclaim at this moment his righteousness. And so to save us, to redeem us from the curse of sin. I preach to you today that coat was stripped away from him so that sin could be laid upon him. I've got to remind us today the lashes that were placed upon his back, they weren't his, they were mine. I know we all look good and we all got it going on today on Sunday. We got you got your Sunday best on and you look great, but may we not forget that on our best day, we are sinners saved by the grace of God. We may have it all going on today, amen, but he took our place. Those nails driven through his hands and feet, they should have been mine wound in his side it should have been mine the crown of bloody thorns that he wore it should have been mine to wear the cruel death that he died did not belong to him it was all mine yet he bore the burden of sin on my behalf so that we on this Sunday morning might be made the righteousness of God in him I know I've taken about 28 minutes to get to my sermon today but if you hadn't heard anything I said here's the point of my message he took off the seamless coat for the purpose that you and I could put it on. That coat that symbolized his righteousness, it had to be taken away because of the purpose and the intent that he came to Calvary because of he was making a way for you and I to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. very first mention of clothing in scripture is found as a result of Adam and Eve's disobedience in the Garden of Eden. Because sin had not yet entered into the equation of uh, human life, we read that they were uncovered without clothing. They could yet unashamed because of the glory of innocence in which God had clothed them in. Then, of course, sin entered into uh, the equation. And because of that sin, Adam and Eve were then stripped of their innocence, becoming sinners. And because of their guilty conscience, if you will, and innocence being taken away from them, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve began sewing together fig leaves. 
they begin endeavoring to cover themselves in their shame and in their sin. But God comes into the garden. And when they sense the presence of God, Adam and Eve ran and hid. Because they knew their garments of fig leaves were not sufficient. They knew that the garment of their own making was not a sufficient covering for sin. Could I tell you on this Sunday morning, not much has changed. For so many people, even today, are endeavor, they're doing everything they can to sew together the fig leaves of their own goodness. They're, they're sewing together the, the, the greenery of their own good works, if you will. And they are somehow hoping that it will all be enough to be pleasing in the sight of God. God, can I tell you we are all sinners, yet in our best effort to clothe our own selves in our own righteousness, it will never be enough. It doesn't matter how good you are, how, how, how much good you have done. Thank God for it. Amen. That's, that's, that's a trait of a, of a follower of Christ. Amen. But our own covering, our own making for a covering will never be enough. Isaiah said we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness, they are as filthy rags. My best effort to clothe my own self in a covering from sin is no better than a filthy rag. So in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm not going to preach much longer, just hang with me. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 21, God clothed them God clothed them with the skin of an animal you need to understand at this point there had been no death creation was barely complete and therefore Adam and Eve had never yet seen the sight of blood being shed yet God took an animal and for the sake of man's sin, for the sake of your sin, for the sake of all of my failures, God took that animal and God offered a sacrifice. As the, as the blood of that animal began to flow freely, Adam and Eve, for the very first time, saw death but I want you to hear me this morning it was much more than just death that took place that day Adam and Eve though they may not have known it in the moment Adam and Eve got the first glimpse of the cross for by way of the death of that animal, God was then able to clothe Adam and Eve with a covering, a covering that was far greater than anything they could make on their own. This was a covering that was far better than fig leaves and greenery from the garden. This covering was something that God had made just for them. Ladies and gentlemen, I preach to you today. I told you nothing you've not heard, but something that I felt on my spirit today when Jesus became our sacrificial lamb, paying sin's debt on Calvary. His seamless coat was like unto that animal skin. His covering became our covering. His righteousness became our righteousness. His holiness became our holiness. That which he wore and that which he possessed was then able for you and I, though we be sinners and though we be vile and though we be shaped in iniquity because 
because of what he did on Calvary. We can become like him. We can be holy as he is holy. I hope somebody's hearing me right now. We can be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His coat. I don't know what happened to it. Some scholars believe that one of those soldiers, whoever the lucky one was, took it home, put it in the treasure chest. I don't know. Some even believe that that soldier probably wore it around, didn't live up to the reflection that that garment portrayed. I don't know what happened to the physical garment. And really, I don't much care. Because it's more about what he accomplished in the spirit that day. His righteousness was thrown toward you and I. His redemption was cast in our direction that day. And made it possible for our past and our failures to be covered by the blood. And for us to stand holy, redeemed, without fault or failure, without blemish or blame. We can stand in the holy place of God and be redeemed. Deemed by his. I wonder if there's anybody in this room today that still remembers the pit of sin that you were living in. I want there's someone here today that realizes I'm not worthy to stand in his presence today, but for the blood and the sacrifice of Calvary, I'm not worthy, amen, of his grace and his mercy, but for his righteousness. That he has clothed me in. That's why in Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter, Jesus is prophesied to be a king who will reign and prosper and execute judgment and justice in the earth. He will save Judah and Israel. And Jeremiah says, His name shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Not the Lord who is righteous or not the Lord his righteousness, but his name shall be called the Lord our righteousness. My righteousness is as filthy rags, but by his death he has become our righteousness. He has taken my rags and he hath clothed me by his grace. He has covered me by his blood. Somebody lift your hands and give God praise right now. Come on, I wish somebody would lift your voice and give God praise that his blood covered you, that his sacrifice included you. Come on, I wonder if there's somebody in this building that would throw a hand in the air and say, God, I still remember the pit that I was living in. I still remember the sin that I was steeped in. I still remember the failures that I was doomed to die in. But you clothed me in your righteousness. You clothed me. You covered me. I'm closed and musicians can come. But doesn't it seem strange? Doesn't it seem strange that God would allow this seamless coat? Might I say, as best we know, one of the very few possessions of Christ in this earth. It seems strange that that coat would fall into the hands of evil men. Men that had just spat in his face. Men that had mocked him all day long. Men that had laughed in his face. Declaring, if you really are the Son of God, do something about all this. Come down from your cross. Call 10,000 angels. These men who put a crown of thorns on his head 
How strange that the very people who despised him would be given that seamless coat. That coat that possessed so much prophetic meaning. That linen garment that was a symbol, not a source, but a symbol of his righteousness. Wouldn't it, in our human standards, wouldn't it be more fitting and more appropriate for that coat to go to, I don't know, one of the 12 perhaps. One of the 12 who spent three years following, learning of him. Or the three leaders among the 12. The inner circle, Peter, James, John. Surely one of them would have been the appropriate person to inherit the coat of Christ. They had been there on so many occasions. They were, they were faithful among all. They were there to see miracles that others had not seen. By our, by our human standards, they, they would be the appropriate ones. If anybody deserved the coat, it was his closest friends. Let's take it a step further. If not Peter, James, and John, then, then what about his own mother, Mary, as she wept at the foot of that cross? Would it not be most appropriate for that seamless coat to go to the one who grieved his passing the most? If anybody would have treasured that garment, it would have been her. If anybody would have clung to it in her moments of sorrow, it would have been her. If anybody would have picked it up when she got to missing her son, it would have been her. But can I tell you, though, it seems a little strange by our own human standards. I submit to you today, it was no accident that that coat was placed in the hands of vile, wicked, even evil men who had at the drop of a hat cursed the very name of God. It was no accident that the worst of sinners held that coat in their hands. One of those evil men took that coat back home with them that day. Because if the coat of Christ was a symbol and picture of his righteousness, then I have to believe that those Roman soldiers were a picture of you and I. That was me. That was you. And when he placed that coat, when he allowed the symbol of his righteousness to be put in the hands of evil men, though it seemed strange on the surface, that was the greatest expression of hope that you and I could ever dream of. Because no matter what sin there may be in our past, no matter how wicked man may be, no matter how evil our intentions may have been, I would preach today in my final moments with you, I feel something on me right now. It does not matter how evil you have been. It matters not how checkered your past has been. There is no life too dirty. There is no sinner that God is not willing to clothe in his righteousness. There's nobody too far gone. There's no life that is beyond repair. There is no soul that is beyond the reach of God's help. 
It doesn't matter what they look like on the outside. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter all you've endured. It doesn't matter all that you have done. The crimes you may have committed. The wrongs you may have done in your heart. It does not matter. The blood of Jesus can cover it all. And even with your wicked past, he has become our righteousness. And if you will repent, if you will be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, if you will receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, then his righteousness will cover you and every sin will be washed away. Every debt will be paid and you you can walk free you can walk forgiven I wish there was someone in this building today that would throw your hands in the air amen I know I'm just preaching about the cross today just preaching about the blood preaching about salvation amen but it'll all stir our soul to remember and realize that the blood is my only hope Come on, I'm reaching for somebody in this building today. If you've never repented of your sins, what a beautiful day this would be to ask God, God, forgive me of every failure. Forgive me of every wrong. Forgive me of every evil thought. Forgive me for every selfish desire. Forgive me for every sinful action. I need the blood that you shed to flow over my soul. Come on, lift your voice in this room right now. Come on, somebody ought to lift your voice right now and give God a little praise that you've been given hope. You've been given a way of escape. You're not doomed to die in your own righteousness, but you have been given a way through the blood of Jesus Christ to be clothed in His righteousness. Come on, if you've never repented today, I invite you to make heaven happy. Come on, I issue an invitation that will make heaven rejoice. You ought to ask God today, cleanse me, wash me with your blood, cover me, oh God, in grace. I need you today. I need you. Stand with me all over this room. close with this just as that seamless coat was undivided I declare to you today it must be the same with Christ in our lives the soldiers to whom the garment fell huddled themselves together and concluded It would be better for one of us to keep this garment intact and go home this afternoon with a whole garment than for us to tear apart something that was designed to be whole and just go home with a little piece a few scraps. They decided, let's keep it intact. It's never been separated, so let's not separate it. Can I, can I plead with some soul in this room today? Christ cannot be divided. Maybe it's not what you expected to hear from the evangelist on Sunday morning, but I'm telling you, Christ cannot be divided. We must take all of him or none at all. Because it's written, God will not share his glory with another. 
It was never Jehovah and Baal. It was never Jehovah and Asher. It was never Jehovah and Nebuchadnezzar. It was never Jehovah and the golden calf. It must be him or the others. It must be him or no others. He must be our only hope today. He must be our only trust. There, there can be no divided allegiance. And so as the lot fell to that one soldier, and as that one soldier had a decision to make, am I going to leave the garment whole or am I going to divide the garment? The lot has fallen to us in this room today. I told you, I'm going to open this altar right now and I pray to God everybody in this room would come and find a place to pray. But it very well could be that I'm reaching for about two people in this building today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I am telling you the Holy Ghost is reaching for your soul today. And the lot has fallen to you. The choice is yours to make what will you do not just with the coat I'm not really preaching about the coat today I'm preaching about the Christ who wore that coat what will you do with the Christ of the seamless coat I wonder if there's someone that would throw your hands in the air and say God I don't want just a piece of you I just I don't want just a little bit of who you are I don't want just a little touch a little dab of your spirit God I want all of you I wonder if there's someone that would run to this altar right now and let hunger well up out of your soul I wonder if there's someone right now that would act upon that desire that is deep in your soul today God I want you I want you not only do I realize that I need you I want you God, I want all of you, all of your fullness, all of your glory, all of your power. I want all of your spirit. I'm not going to give you just a little bit on Sunday and nothing else the rest of the week. God, I want all of you. God, I want you to be whole in my life. I want you to be whole in my life. I want your fullness. Come on, if you've never repented, I invite you to lift your hands and ask God to forgive you. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I challenge you to find pastor or one of the ministers and let them know I need to be baptized in Jesus' name because I need the righteousness of God to cover me. If you've never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, once you have repented, I want you to begin to believe God that he will fill you with the baptism of his spirit today. It is in this room. Come on, I believe God's ready to clothe somebody in his righteousness today. Come on, every eye closed, every voice lifted in prayer right now. The Spirit of God is working. Come on, every, every eye closed, every voice lifted. Come on, the gospel is reaching into the deep recesses of souls. Come on, I'm telling you. Come on, the gospel is bringing forth the fruits of repentance today. Is enough to break every Come on, his blood will cover you. His righteousness will clothe you. That's it with your voice lifted. God, I want all of you. I must decrease and you must increase. I want it all, God. I want everything that you are. Your blood is enough to Come on, church, I want you to be sensitive right now. I want you to be sensitive to those that are around you. Restoring, saving, and He 
the Spirit of God is moving and ministering all over this sanctuary right now. If there's somebody close by you that's praying, or if you feel the Spirit of God prompt you to go to somebody, I pray that you would be sensitive right now. Come on, God's still reaching in this room right now. It's not too late. It's not too late. It's not even noon yet. We still got a few minutes. Come on, I, I urge you right now. You ought to yield yourself to the power of the Holy Ghost. Here I am, God. I want all of you. I withhold nothing today, God. I pray you would withhold nothing from me. That's it. Come on. Come on, that's it. I'm telling somebody there's hope for you today. Come on, your greatest sin is not great enough to keep the blood from washing you clean. Your greatest mistake is not great enough to keep the love of God from reaching you. Everlasting to all who receive it, your blood. 
everlasting to all who receive it. Your Come on, there's forgiveness in this room. There's forgiveness in this room. Renewing, restoring, there is no condemnation in Christ. But there is forgiveness. He is faithful. And he is just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. To all who receive it, your blood. Surrender to what you feel. It's renewed. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace. Your grace is sufficient. Sin may abound in my life, but your grace can abound that much more. I love you, Jesus.
Thank you. 